Ion 2020 episode 173. Have 2020 Vision with Ion 2020, your source for the news and events in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election. I am Ray Eaton, and I will keep you up to date daily until November 2020 with a libertarian perspective on the candidates and their policies along with the news. Thank you for joining me. Now let's clear our vision. What's up, everybody? Ray Eaton here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. This is Ion 2020. And you know what? I appreciate those that come out Monday through Friday listening to this show every single day, making sure that you are the most informed person in your clique, making sure that you know what is going on with the candidates, their policies, their positions, third-party candidates, Republicans, Democrats, the whole nine yards. That's what I'm going to cover every single day, Monday through Friday for you. So thank you for joining me on this Monday morning or whenever you're listening. I guess a lot of people listen probably in the afternoon. And some people might even listen on Tuesday or Wednesday. Who knows? Uh, you might even be listening you know, 10 years from now for all I know. Because once everything hits the, hits the uh, internet, it pretty much stays there for good, right? I mean, you could look at some... Po- podcasts that are out there that have been around for 10 years and you could go back and listen to those shows uh but hey what i've been doing for the last couple days last week and uh, i'm going to continue to do it all throughout this week as well is just do a quick coverage of each of the candidates that are going to be in the debate next week so you got the debates that are coming up next thursday there's only going to be one debate that's going to be 10 people on that stage and they've already chosen who they are i mentioned that last week as well and i'm going to go through each of those 10 people and let you know exactly what i think about each of them uh, I'm going to cover their policies, their positions. I'm going to cover all those things from a libertarian perspective so that you can kind of see where they're at and if they have any libertarian leanings or not. Um, they're Democrats, so you can be certain that they have very few libertarian leanings at all. I can guarantee you that. But every so often, you know, on foreign policy and stuff, you get a little diamond in the rough, man, that might have some swaying towards a libertarian policy. Now, the thing is, is don't be fooled, guys. Don't be fooled, because Barack Obama talked a lot in his campaign in 2008 about the foreign wars and the war in Iraq, and that we need to get out of Iraq and we need to get out of Afghanistan. Actually, he talked, he talked about Afghanistan as the good war and Iraq as the bad war. But um, we know that they both are at both of those wars. He escalated those. He also ended up doing drone bombings, and you know he was the first president to kill a United States civilian or citizen overseas with a drone. I mean, he did all kinds of crazy stuff. So even if these candidates do say stuff like that, there is a much larger deep state involved in this whole thing that must sway them in one way or the other to go against their principles and their morals or whatever it is that they have in order to get them to continue these drone wars and the different uh, wars of aggression against these countries to change their leadership and things like that but um at least if they talk about it though it becomes something that's on the public's mind right i mean just think back to 2008 with ron paul talking about that stuff on the republican stage talking about the idea of blowback when we're we have foreign things like we have foreign entanglements going on overseas and we're trying to manipulate their governments and stuff like that in the middle east and then you would expect some kind of blowback from the civilian population, the people that would think of this as a terrible thing that we're doing over there, and 
that's what that's how 9-11 ended up happening was it was an idea of blowback that we were over there and they didn't like that so uh ron paul talked about that but it wasn't just ron paul he didn't come up with that idea out of the blue he came up with that idea from the very government that he represents and that is uh the cia you know not that he represents cia but he came up with that from a government document which was something that the cia said that there's going to be blowback that the potential for blowback is there if we are engaging overseas especially in the middle east because they don't like they don't like americans on their soil it's not our freedom they just don't like the fact that we are a christian nation and according to them we are not we're infidels in their world right in some way and they don't like having our bases overseas and also another thing that they talked about was the idea that uh america starved 500,000 kids in iraq some, you know through the through the embargo that we had on iraq during that time and those are things that they were fighting us against and that's what that was the blowback so they talk about that that was not a new idea that ron paul came up with in 2008 but he got into that little spat with giuliani at the time and it put that on the center stage and you had a lot of people that said holy crap look at this guy ron paul he's amazing he has libertarian views. People start looking into libertarian ideas. They start looking into the Federal Reserve. They start looking into the anti-war policy, the anti-foreign intervention policies that he had. So, I mean, when somebody on that stage on the Democratic ticket, like a Tulsi Gabbard, who did not get into the debates, by the way, when someone like her gets up there and starts challenging the status quo of foreign intervention... It rubs, it, it takes people and, you know, it takes people and makes them think. We're not going to have her on that stage, but maybe, just maybe someone like Bernie Sanders might speak up against that stuff. I don't think anyone else on that stage will, though. I'm trying to think of anyone else that will. I mean, you might have Pete Buttigieg that would. I've heard him say stuff before, but I think he still believes in foreign intervention. I still think he believes in regime change in some ways. So we'll see. We'll see who who is willing to do that. Who's willing to step up as the anti-war voice, the voice of dissent on that stage. It will not be the person I'm going to cover today, and that's going to be Kamala Harris. So I covered Elizabeth Warren. I covered Bernie Sanders. I covered Joe Biden. And now I'm going to cover Kamala Harris today. And uh, her, her website, her, her campaign website, what on earth is Kamala Harris saying about where she wants to take America? What's her ideas? What are her policies? That's what we're going to cover today. But first, if you like what you hear, first time listening, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. And uh, the best way to listen tomorrow is how, what do you think you got to do? You got to subscribe to the show, of course. Now, I do have multiple shows before. There's 172 episodes previous to this one. So you might as well go back and listen to some of those as well. And then the next step after that, you've been listening for a while and you like what you hear. You continue to like what you hear and you're like, man, this guy, Ray, I think that I should help him with those algorithms that help people to find shows. And the way that you can do that is by giving me a five-star rating and a review, a great review that helps people to say, holy cow, I want to listen to this show. And that's the best thing you can do for me right there is a five-star rating review that gets the listenership up, right? But then, you know what, if you, if you feel the desire that you really want to support the show, 
You can do that too. That's right. I have ways to make that happen. The best way to make that happen is go to anchor.fm slash ion2020. There's this little button that you can push that says support the show. And there you can do a 99 cent, a 2.99, or a 4.99. I think there's a 9.99 support level as well on there. And if you want to support the show, that would be great. I would appreciate that. I might even give you a shout out on the show when you do that. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, if you do support the show, I also have a secret Facebook group that you can get into, and I will uh, email you to let you know how if you end up supporting the show. So. Uh, and then if you want to follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, and also on the web, you can do that. IonTheEmpire.com is where you type in to go to the website, and then I am the Empire, you type that into Twitter and Facebook, and boom, you'll see me there. All the stuff that I post on the website will go onto Twitter and Facebook every single time because it's an automatic thing that I set up, and uh, it's amazing. You put it on the website, and all of a sudden it's up there as well. Uh, you can comment, you can share it, you can do whatever, but usually I'm posting a lot of articles about uh, foreign surveillance in, or uh, domestic surveillance as well, also foreign entanglements that we have and things that the United States is doing overseas in order to uh, interfere in other countries because it's called Eye on the Empire, so I'm keeping an eye on the empire. And I'm also keeping an eye on these politics as well and these politicians and seeing exactly what they are doing. So go ahead and check that out, all right? But let's jump into the show then. Let's do it. Um, KamalaHarris.org, that's right. KamalaHarris.org. And get this, have you guys ever heard the uh, the commercials for Morgan & Morgan for the people, right? Morgan & Morgan for the people. That's their, that's their little motto. And it's a, um, it's a law firm in the southeast. I don't know if, I think they're all over the country now, but they actually got started in Florida. Um, I think it was like Morgan, Colin, and Gilbert was the original group, and then it became Morgan and Morgan. And it's this guy that gets up there, and he's like, you know, I've gotten billions of dollars back uh, for people, and you need someone that's going to fight for you. And then their, then their little motto is Morgan and Morgan for the people. Well, Kamala Harris, her motto is for the people. Kamala Harris, for the people. So she is an attorney, though, so you'd expect that, right? She might have even worked for Morgan & Morgan back when in, in uh, California. Who knows? That might where, be where they came up with this, or maybe one of her campaign staff people came up with this. Kamala Harris, for the people. That is not as powerful of a statement as hope and change. That is not a, as powerful a statement as make America great again. I don't even think it's as good as keep America great, to be honest with you. So um, she's not going to get any brownie points for her campaign slogan, but let's get into who she is. She says, Kamala has been a fearless advocate for the voices and vulnerable throughout her career. As president, she will fight to restore truth and justice in America and build an economy that works for everyone. So her idea is, so she says she's going to build an economy for that works for everyone. I don't know that she has a lot of economic a, a, a lot of um, economic experience in the past, if you know what I mean. And if you look at her past, she was an attorney. Then she was a um, she was like the the attorney general for California. Then she became a senator for the state of California as well. So I don't really see her economic savvy, I guess, in that. But maybe she has great people that are teaching her what to say or telling her what to do. Maybe she's one of those people, which is great. That's someone that will get the best people around here, the best Austrian economists around her to make sure that she has the best policies to work for everybody, right? To build an economy that works for everyone. Because Austrian economists will definitely tell you 
that an Austrian economic economic policy will certainly work best for everybody, right? So we'll, let's see it. Let's let's see what she's saying about her her. It says our America. That's what she's looking at on her website. So she wants affordable health care for all. Surprise, surprise. I think Elizabeth Warren said that on her campaign page as well. I know Joe Biden said it on his campaign page. And surprisingly, Bernie Sanders says that on his campaign page as well. So what does she want? She wants Medicare for all, though. She wants to take a step towards Medicare for all. Right now, American health care system costs too much and allows insurance companies to run the show. Camo believes health care should be a right, not a privilege, only for those who can't afford it. That's why she has a plan for Medicare for all that will guarantee coverage for every American. Lower health care costs allow a choice between public and private Medicare plans and force insurance companies to pay, play by the rules. So she's going for a Medicare for all plan. And... To me, I've had my conversations with you guys about Medicare for All. I did it on the Bernie show. I'm sure I did it on all these shows as well. And the thing about Medicare for All is that you are going to have the rationing that goes along with it. It's just a normal thing. There's already rationing in the Medicare system as it is. Doctors will only take certain amount of Medicare patients because Medicare pays 60 to 70 cents on the dollar as opposed to what someone else pays. So what happens is if you have a Medicare system and everybody's on it, doctors will opt out. You'll have lots of people starting to pay for cat or doctors are saying, you know, I only accept cash payments. And you're going to have huge amounts of bureaucratic, a bureaucratic red tape that they have to navigate through in order to get paid on things in the first place. So they'll end up, it'll, there'll be a consolidation of doctors to the point where you're going to have very you're not going to have that personal relationship with your doctor anymore. You might not even have a doctor anymore. You might have a doctor's office that you go to and you might get seen by one of the doctors there because they have to merge together in order to navigate the red tape. You're going to have less care, less quality care over time because of that because they're always trying to control costs and in a bureaucratic system, it's very hard to control costs. Because there's lots of bureaucracy that goes along with it. Look at your high school, look at your middle school, look at your elementary schools. They say, like, there's so much bureaucracy within that and above them. Like, if you go to the the, the regional school district, right, there's going to be tons of people working in office that are not educating kids by any means. But you're going to have that in a bureaucratic system because there's nobody that's accountable to lowering the cost it's not run like a business and the same thing with medicare for all you're going to have that challenge there where you're going to have bureaucracy up on layers and layers of bureaucracy in order to make sure that they are compliant with the medicare system but you're going to end up having to sacrifice on the quality of care because of that so it's not a system that can work now it's a system that can work, I guess, because Medicare in itself does work for old people and retirees. It does. But is it the best system to get people what they need? I challenge you to tell me, or I, I, I would say that it's most likely the case that you're not going to, that is not the best system to get the most quality care for the most amount of people. A private system will help to make that happen. 
a, pro, a, a system that is free of government intervention is most likely to make sure that happens. It's going to drive down the cost of care because there's more competition in the market. When there's competition in the market, you'll have when there's one supplier or something, and that's it. You end up with basically rising costs because there's a monopoly in that system, right? So when there's one supplier, that's the case. When there's multiple suppliers, then you're going to have a system set up where if that person that is is the monopolist is charging too much, then somebody else is going to step in and provide that at a discounted service or at a discounted price. And then if you get three or four or five, it ends up more competition in order to drive down the prices in order to give you better quality care. And that's what we're going to be looking at if you had a private system. So I've already had this conversation, you guys. I don't want to rehash it too much more. But okay, so let's move on to her next thing then. She talks about raising teacher pay. Now, who can possibly be against raising teachers' pay, right? I mean, it's already a huge bureaucracy as it is. So let's get all the teachers on board and say that we're going to raise their raise their paychecks. We're going to give them an extra $13,500 per year is what they're going to do. The average her plan will provide the average public school teacher 13 a $13,500 wage. How can you possibly be against that, right? I I mean, we have a public school system, so you kind of have to go along with it and say, yeah, they do deserve more. But we need to break apart the bureaucracy in these school districts, right? I mean, you have the Department of Education. I think it's like $60 billion a year it costs for the Department of Education. Why not just abolish the Department of Education? Those people are not up there teaching kids at the Department of Education. Abolish the Department of Education send that money back to the states, let them do with it as they will. All the mandates from the Department of Education will go away, so all these states will have less bureaucracy within their systems, and then you can leave teachers to teach, and maybe they can give the teachers a little bit more money. And that's that. I mean, it's as simple as that, guys. It really is. I mean, it, it sounds simple. Yeah, that sounds simple. But there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, you have an entire bureaucracy that would have to come apart in some ways to get rid of public education in America and make it all privatized. But, I mean, when you have competition among teachers, I mean, if you have competition among teachers for, if you're allowed teachers to be paid for better quality work, then maybe they would get raises. But it's a bureaucracy. You get paid what you get paid. You go to become a teacher, and there's no negotiating your wage. You get paid a starting salary of X, and every year you get 10% more, or 5% more, or whatever it is. And that's just the way the bureaucracy works. In another system, let's say there was a private system. I mean, teachers will get paid what they're worth. If you're the best teacher in the United States, there's more demand for your time. Then you're going to get paid a little bit more. I mean, you get might get paid a lot more. You might create a homeschool curriculum with your expertise as a teacher because you're that good that you have a million children in America that subscribe to that homeschool curriculum. You know what? You might be so good that a company might hire you to create a web-based platform so they could teach in their schools 
teach your curriculum in their schools because you're that good. A video-based curriculum. Like, you might be an expert at it, but we don't have a system like that. We have a bureaucratic system that hasn't changed in a 100 years when technology has gotten way more advanced where one teacher can teach 10 million kids from the privacy of their home. That's possible nowadays. But you'll, you won't see that because of the bureaucracy that we have today. So find the best teacher, reward them for what they can do, but that only happens in the in, a, in the private sector. But that's not what we're looking at today. But so moving on, Kamala Harris, she wants to pay teachers more. Well, you know what? Pay them more. There's ways to make that happen in the free market, but it is a private market. Um, she's just pandering for votes with that specific statement. That's all that really comes down to. So let's talk criminal justice reform. Kamala Harris is all about criminal justice reform. She is one to talk, though. I think she's the one that put people in prison as an attorney general, I guess, like was unapologetic about putting people in prison for marijuana use when she was the one who like laughed about it when they said, well, you just, do you smoke pot? And she's like, ha, 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 yes, I do. So um, there's not much to talk about there on criminal justice reform. It's probably just talking points because she is trying to cater to a specific base of people that might be interested in that. Uh, But she was hard on people, supposedly, in California. Um, But that's just her. Okay, so, and then the last thing I really want to talk about with her is um, her statement here that says that she's going to, oh, debt-free college and student debt. Okay, so... That is pretty much the platform of the Democrats anyway right now is this debt-free college and student debt and uh, forgiveness of student debt. Every candidate has a different way that they want to go about it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they're all, that, that is the promise to the next generation pretty much is that we're going to forgive your debt. We're going to make college debt-free, tuition-free, blah, blah, blah. Um, that's something that actually might end up getting through Congress because that's kind of something that could become a bipartisan issue. That, I mean, they could make the argument that says, listen, we pay for K-12 through education. Why don't we just start paying for the next four years as well? It's going to make America better off and everything else. Um, and that's true. That's a true statement that they could make that would probably become a bipartisan idea. But the reality of it is that, first of all, four years of college is not an absolute necessity in order for you to become an educated person or if you become like a business person what if you just want to become a car dealer or something like that or what if you just want to start a business because you're an expert in whatever then you don't need a college education to make that happen um i feel like a college education is a good thing because there are so many people with a college education nowadays that you probably need something like that if you want to get into like the business world especially like if you want to be an accountant a certified public, you know, CPA, then you pretty much have to have a four-year degree. If you want to become a doctor, yeah, you have to have a four-year degree. Engineer, it would be very hard to get into any company without a four-year degree in some ways as well. Computer engineering, um, some kind of computer programming, things like that. There are two to, two-year degrees that can help you out, but in order to get yourself in the door at a lot of places, you're going to need a four-year degree. If you want to get into like pharmaceutical sales, you're going to need a four-year degree. Like, there's lots of good reasons to have a four-year degree. But if you're getting a four-year degree in anything that is um, related to basket weaving, or if you're getting a four-year degree in liberal arts, if you're getting a four-year degree in, you know, cultural studies or whatever group that you're a part of, their type of studies, you know, you have African American studies, you have Latin American studies, you have this and that studies, then probably not the best investment of your money 
to get a degree in that because that's information you can pretty much get on the web. Maybe you can start doing your own study groups and things like that about your particular topic. But it's not going to get you a job out of college. It's not going to get you in the door to an engineering firm with a cultural degrees study. You know, a cultural studies degree, whatever. That's not going to get you into that door. I mean, if I was looking at resumes from college students for my career or for my company, and I had four people, one of them had a marketing degree, one of them had a engineering degree, one of them had a finance degree, the other one had a um, Midwestern or you know Midwestern studies degree or something like that from the the mid-century 1800s Midwestern degree studies or something, I'd be like, ah, yeah, let's go and put that guy away. Let's go with the next girl that has the marketing degree. Well, look at the finance degree as well. Engineering degree, yeah, let's look at all three of those. But set that guy aside. That's probably what I'd end up doing because... That's not a degree that a degree that's useful. Oh, you could write a great freaking essay about it. Who knows? I mean, to me, a waste of your time. And that's what you're going to get when you have these four-year college degrees that are free. Is you're going to you get to really study what you want to in college. You have the first two years where you start doing you do all the the hoopla of uh, humanities and Roman times and Greek and Re- Greek Roman times, ancient Egypt and all that stuff. You study all that stuff. That's the cultural stuff that you learn. That's true. You take all the mathematics courses that you're forced to take. You take the language courses that you're forced to take just so you can be up on up to speed on this stuff. That is true. So you're going to take those types of courses. You're going to take a few economics courses. You're going to take maybe a sociology or a psychology course because everyone wants to be a psychologist when they grow up, right? I think like 80% of people when they go to college, they say they're going to graduate. With it. They're going to major in psychology after they get out. So yeah, you have those situations there. But then once you just, just declare your major, then you go into the engineering department. Then you go into the health department. Then you go into, you know, different, the medical school, the, the school of engineering, the school of business, the school of education. You're going to go into one of those schools for your major. How many people are just going to take the easy road, though, and just go with something just because they their parents are making them go to college? You know? It's a free degree. You better damn sure go. I mean, I just think that that is what we're going to be looking at. I mean, we already have it now. Because look how easy it is to get into college. Everyone goes to college. Either do a two-year... You might go to a two-year college, community college, and then move on to the four-year degree. Um, a lot of the four-year colleges are hard to get into for your first two years. But eventually you go on to the four-year degree and you end up with a, you're majoring in, everyone's a psychology major, everyone's a sociology major, everyone's a um, liberal arts degree major, something like that. Everyone's a business major, but a general business major. You want to do generalized stuff because it's a little bit easier to get into that situation there, right? But that's a four-year degree that doesn't really pay off that much when you have a general arts, like a general degree. A liberal arts degree of some sort not going to be beneficial to you but the federal government that's what the, i mean they're just promising more and more but this is pandering that's all it is is it's pandering to a specific group of people to get them to vote for you that's really what it is and then the older people think to themselves oh yeah i think it would be good i think it'd be really good if uh, johnny got to go to college for free i mean i had to pay for my own 
And look at the price of colleges is going up so much nowadays. When something's free, what do you get, guys? You get less... Um, uh, when something is provided for free, you're going to get... You're going to get ration... They're, they're going to have to ration the college degree, first of all, because there's not going to be new capital investment in the universities in order to get them to grow. So you're going to have that rationing of, of services. You're going to have less quality services. And that's, I mean, that's just the way that things are. That is just the way that things are if you're, if you're doing something for free. For example, I challenge you, go tell your boss that you're going to go work for free. He will be happy until you stop showing up because you're not going to do it. You know, you're going to ration your services to him at that point because it's free. You're, you're working for free. That's just the way it's going to be. That's the same thing with anything. If it's free, then everyone's going to take more advantage than they could. So you're going to have to ration the quality of, you're going to ration it and you're going to decrease the quality of it. So that's the same thing that would happen in the college in the college world. Right now, so much money is being funneled towards colleges because of the fact that there it is so easy to get a student loan. And all these colleges are competing to get those students to go to their college. That's why they're building these immaculate swimming pools on campus. They're doing lazy rivers on campus. They're trying to show you how great the gyms are and how great the food service is and all that stuff because they're all competing to get that those dollars. That's what they do. So Kamala Harris, the idea is just a standard one for the Democrats, though. Give out free college tuition and we're going to be uh, be able to get the votes of these people. That's all they're doing. This is, It's a pandering thing. It's the auction. They're auctioning off your freedom for a little bit of security in that way. So that's all I got in Kamala Harris. There is way more on her website, though. I mean, there's tons of other stuff that she's trying to hand out for free. There's uh, tons of stuff that they're trying to give to you and uh, make sure that you vote for them so if you want to talk to your friends about Kamala Harris now you know a little bit more about her and the things that she's going to try to pander to those people uh, in order to get their vote and uh, that's all she's doing but hey guys keep on coming back I got a great great week of shows lined up for you just covering each of these candidates that are going to be on the debate stage next week and then come on back tomorrow so you can have clear vision for 2020 Hey guys, I'm excited to announce the new podcast I'm coming out with called First Year in Sales with Ray Eaton. Now, if you're not a salesperson, then it might not be for you. But if you are a salesperson, or if you know another salesperson, go ahead and direct them towards this show. It's going to be a show that is based upon helping somebody that's in their first year in sales, or maybe even somebody that is in sales already and just wants to brush up on some of the sales skills that they need in order to be successful. I'm focusing on habits and also different parts of the sales process in order to help people to become more successful in their sales job. So like I said, if you know somebody that's in sales, or if you yourself are in sales, go ahead and check out this podcast. It's on all of your podcatchers, anything that you would listen to. And that is called First Year in Sales with Ray Ian.